Guys, we're coming in the middle of a series that we're doing on worship. Um, we're, we're making uh, most of our sermon series organization is going to be just books of the Bible or sections of the Bible or stories from the Bible, but every once in a while we're going to organize things based on a topic and go through them that way. And this one, I felt that we needed to focus on what worship is and some things about it. And as I prepared for it, having been the worship leader here for 15 years or so, or maybe more, I can't remember, but I'm not good at math. <laughs> the, uh, uh, I realized there was so much to say that this is just going to be a partial thing. You know what I mean? So like we've gone through some stuff, but I even feel like on these weeks that we're like flying over something on a, in the kind of like a biblical survey. And so what I want you to do is this, you know, these other ones we've gone through, it's like we're going to talk about Gideon for four weeks, and it's just we're going to go through this chunk, and then we're going to go through this chunk, and we're going to go through this chunk. And you're moving at kind of a speed that you can not get everything, but you get what I mean. You know you know what. This is more, here's a thing, and then we're going to kind of flip through the Bible and look at a lot of different examples of that. So I want you to be prayerful about if God starts to talk to you about something in this. I mean, we got the stuff on the screens. Write down where that is and go look it up. Like God's probably talking to you about it. And it might be part of this, but not the whole thing, because I have several different examples. And in my mind, these all fit together and <laughs> say something, but in, in other ways, they also might speak by themselves. You see what I'm saying? So you need to pay attention that if God is speaking to you about one of these things, take that seriously, and if God's telling you something, we, we sure as heck better listen. So this is part two. Part one was kind of getting at what worship was, you know, why we only worship God alone. Um, <laughs> when I was putting that one together, I thought, I was like, this is really good. And when we were like here talking about it, I was like, wow, this is like really intense. And so it is, you know, I guess. But it was one of those things that came off a lot different than I thought. But I don't know how this one will. But the second one, this was the second thing that I felt like God said that we needed to look at, which is costly, that worship is costly. And originally, um, just a little preview, originally when we were laying these things out, we were laying them out um, Next week, Steve and Marianne are going to be teaching us about the tabernacle, and they actually have, like, props and stuff. It's going to be really cool. I thought that one was going to be this week, and then this costly one would be next week. So some of the stuff I'm talking about, sacrifices, was kind of the idea that, like, oh, we would have had this in our mind. So you're going to have to think ahead or have that in your mind that when I'm using words like sacrifice, they're referencing a lot of the tabernacle and temple stuff that we're going to learn next week. And then the following week... Pastor Gary Webb and Kalani are going to be with us teaching about Hebrew words of praise, and it'll be interactive and stuff like that. So that's going to be really good. But today we're going to talk about worship is costly. And the framing of this is I want us to talk about how we approach what worship is in coming to church at all or being in a church or worshiping in a church, in a service even. Like we come, like so much of what we talk about in the Bible and how we live it out, there's a gap at times, and it can be really big, or it can be, you know, the difference, meaning, you know, like, this is what we're supposed to be, or this is where it's at, and this is where we're at, and they're not the same place. And I think that a lot of times that comes out when you look at something like what we do on Sunday morning, and when I say we, I mean like the church, not just here, but like the church in general, and how we as people approach that, you know, because we come to this church. This is called a worship service, like service. Like if I said to you, hey, this guy's going to, you know, like they're going to give, they're going to, they have room service, like at a hotel or something like that. That means people are like bringing you food, right? So like in a worship service, we're that guy. 
All right? You get what I'm saying? <laughs> like, we're bringing God worship. We're not coming here. So, like, what I'm saying is oftentimes you hear people say something like, oh, I didn't get a lot out of that. And you're like, okay, that's fine. Because you know what? You're not really supposed to. You're supposed to give a lot into that. Like, we're the worst. We're serve. That's why it's called a service, you see? Um, but don't get too hung up on all that. It's, but it's just, the thing is, that whole idea that we would evaluate this experience by how much we got out of it is just categorically flawed. Okay, that's kind of what I was trying to get at a second ago. Like, hey, you know, you don't feel like it. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, that doesn't change God's worthiness. It doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change our need of his presence. It doesn't change anything. It just changes how much we feel like we want to do whatever that is. You see, and that's a very big important thing to say. Even the fact that when you look at these words in the Old Testament, when they lay out like they're going to go about next week, you know, this, this is instructions. Like God's like, when you're worshiping me, I mean, I'm talking about like you go through the, we, we read last week parts of the Ten Commandments. Like God's like, here's these commandments I kind of think you should live by. They're really important. Now let me give you some instructions about how I want you to set up this thing to worship, you know, as you're going to worship me. And he lays out like instructions. Like I want this tent, this shape, this big, that way, then this altar, then this thing, and I want it this way. And one of the big things they do is offering sacrifices. And, it's, and you don't have to know, like, well, I don't know, like the whole sacrificial thing. Like, yeah, we're going to get into that next week and fine. But even that word, if I said to you right now, like, hey, you're going to have to make some sacrifices in your life, you go, oh, I get that. Like, you mean like things that I would notice, things that would cost me, like things that I would feel. And like we talk about it, like you're going to have to sacrifice this to, you know, sacrifice this to save money. You know, if y'all taken like Dave Ramsey or something like that, you know, it's like sacrifice this thing that you might like to do to save that money to put towards something that's better. We would go, oh, that's a sacrifice. Or like I'm going to sacrifice this time for this other thing or this so I can lose weight or get, start working out or whatever. You know, there's, we understand what a sacrifice is, but somehow we've disconnected that from this thing that we do on Sunday morning called worship or something like that. Or even more importantly, the whole rest of our life as Christian people is we're following God. We're like, well, this is God making me feel better about myself, right? Like, that's the whole point, isn't it? And the thing is, that does happen, but that isn't the whole point. And in this kind of situation, like when you're looking at something like worship, it might not be the point at all. Like even a little bit. That's a little hard to hear compared to like what we're used to thinking of. Now, I'll be, this is, this is a struggle for me I'll be very, very obvious and out front. Like, I grew up in, my dad is a cinematographer, as many of you know. So he made movies and stuff while we were growing up. So we grew up in what you might call show business. <laughs> and there's ways that people act and things you do, things that work, things that don't work, things that are real, things that are fake. And there's power in them. Like, I just took my family, we went and saw Hamilton the other day. And they've watched, like, you know, we've watched this thing on TV a bunch of times. But see, and I was like reluctantly going along, like, yeah, I'll do the family thing, whatever. And Carrie found some reasonably priced tickets in the back row, and it was really good to go to. But I, I was kind of like, okay, cool, whatever, we're there. But the power of this event in person was actually, it was really shocking how powerful it was as a just people doing something at a, you know, powerful level. How it can communicate things and all this kind of stuff. But in the, going to that play the other day, there was a very clear line that like, there was a stage and there was, there was people in front of the stage playing music. Like, that whole thing was live. All the music, too, anyway. Impressive. There were people doing it, and then there were people watching it. We were in the people watching it. You see what I'm saying? We're called the audience. Me being there or not being there changed nothing. Because I was the audience. And they've done it a bunch of other times. A bunch of a bunch of other times. You see what I'm saying? But I was the audience member, and I was affected by it as an audience member... But I was not doing it 
Now, when you walk into this room, you might be confused that that's the same thing that's happening, that there's this seats, that's, that's the audience, and you're watching something that's happening here. And you being there or not doesn't matter because you're watching it like I was watching Hamilton the other day. That is categorically wrong. Now, it might be partially our fault as a church that we've set things up this way. I don't know. But really what this is supposed to be like is these are the people worshiping, and these are the people keeping everybody on the same page. See what I'm saying? So it's like this is the choir, and this is the choir conductor. And the worship is going to God. You see what I'm saying? Now, that all gets confused in our brains because of show business, which I grew up in, and it's confusing, okay? So I don't want to belabor this point so much. All I'm just saying is that I struggle with this too because when, <laughs> when there's, it's almost like there's some sort of line somewhere, and now we're entertaining people, which isn't maybe wrong, but it's definitely wrong to do instead of worship, okay? Like worship and entertainment aren't the same thing. You, you know, and so there's somewhere where you get where like we're entertaining people now, and then there's somewhere here where it's like, oh, we're worshiping now. And it's not always clear where that is. And it's not always clear where that is in my mind, you know. And if people have been around me, I tend to go like, let's go way over here, you know, just to make sure, which isn't always constructive either. So, um, but I want to read this first before we get too far. Then I'm going to breeze through these examples. First John 4, 10 through 12. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is kind of a summary of everything we're going to talk about today. That what I'm going to talk about, costly worship, is not meant to be a guilt-driven thing. Like, oh gosh, guys, get with it and start costly worshiping God, and you go, okay, I feel worse about myself now, and I should try harder. Like, that's not what this is all about. This is a reaction. When you really see what's really going on, and what God has really done, you can't help but worship in the way like we were just singing that song. There's going to be days, we all have days, okay, but my point is, when you really see it's a response. It's not, I'm going to do this so that I'm okay or so that I... And that's important to read, especially before this first story we're going to look into. Because this story is kind of intense, kind of like last year, last week. And this is the first story where I'm laying out this first point, that costly worship to God is appropriate. Okay, that is our first thing that we need to think about. That you're like, why does it have to be costly? I don't know if it always has to be but it's appropriate if it is. And it might even be that if it isn't, it isn't worship. I don't know, but I do know that it's appropriate. And I'm going to give you this example here. And this is a story where David did something wrong, and then he's dealing with God and himself and people about it. And I'm going to read these because I don't have much extra to say. Like last week, these are stories in the Bible, in your Bible, in our Bible, in the Bible, that we can all read, and God will talk to you through this. I just have a few points about each one of these things. But this first one's intense, and you go like, why are you starting here? Well, here we are. David has now, David has started to count his, what he did in this. When you're going, like, where are we in this story? David counted all his fighting men, 
Meaning like, am I good? Do I, you know, like, do I need to rely on God? You know, you remember this other, the other scripture, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in, you know, it's like, now he's not doing that. He's like, let me count on my guys. You know, am I good? And God has been like, don't do that. And so you go, well, it's no big deal, right? Maybe not, but it is a big deal. So 2 Samuel 24, 10 through 25, I'm going to read the whole thing. David was conscience stricken. He felt bad about what he had done, okay? And he had counted... After he had counted the fighting men, he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, the Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. And go tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. Now, this is David who's repented to God, okay? So this is intense. (laughs) So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there come on you three years of famine in your land or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, pursue you or three days of plague in your land? Now then think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. This God is saying, I'm giving you three choices of kind of punishment for what you've done. David said to Gad, I'm in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into human hands, which kind of says, I'm going to let God decide, but I'm going to, I, might, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I don't want these people. It kind of leans towards what ends up happening. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel that morning until the end of the time designated, and 70,000 people from Dan to Beersheba died. When the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, enough, withdraw your hand. And the angel, the angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor, of Aruna the Jebusite. When David saw the angel who was striking down the people, and he said to the Lord, I have sinned. I, the shepherd, have done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let, our, let your hand fall on me and my family. See, David's still after God's heart, even when he makes mistakes. Verse 18, on the day Gad went to David and said to him, "Go." wait, on that day, Gad the prophet went back to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arun of the Jebusite. That's where it stopped. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Aruna saw the king and his officials coming towards him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord and that the plague of the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here's the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Aruna, gives the, all of this to the king. Aruna also said to him, May the lord your God accept you. But the king replied, Aruna, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. So David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer on behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. This is an intense place to start worshiping the Lord in something costly. And there's a lot of, I think, deep, like a lot of things in this story, which I said we're flying over. So we're not going to, you know, you might need to go back and reflect on this because this is pretty intense. I almost, just to be totally honest, I almost was like, I don't know if I want to go there because this is just a lot of 
heaviness, and I want us to be like, let's worship God, you know what I mean? And I really felt God was like, no, this is the one, you know, and I was like, okay. So um, we're looking at a situation where David has done something very wrong, and he's repented for it, but there's still a punishment that's coming on him and the country. And part of the whole interaction with God and stopping this and everything, God stops saying, he's like, no, this is, this is enough. You know, God's mercy, he mercifully stops it. But, but, and God gives word to the prophet to tell the king, David, this is a, go to this place and this is where you need to worship me. And there's an interaction here that's happening. It's a reconciliation between God and the people. But the, the very interesting thing to me in this whole thing that we need to grab onto is that David has repented. David is sorry for what he's done. David's even asked, like, God, just let it follow me. Like, don't hurt these people for something wrong that I've done. All of this is good and right. And God, but then God says, I want a, a sacrifice here. And so David's like, okay. So he goes to get it. And the guy gives it to him because the guy's like, yes. I am in favor of this, and I'm in favor of you, and I'm in favor of everything. And if David had said, cool, he would have just done it. And I'm not sure how the end of the story would have been, because it doesn't say that David has to pay for it. What I'm saying in this whole thing is David has done something wrong. David knows he's done something wrong. The beginning of the story that we read today is David already repenting for what he did wrong. This punishment is coming after that. It's not like, well, you're unrepenting, so I'm just going to punish you because, or to get you to realize that. You see what I'm saying? It's like, well, eventually they'll catch on. You know, once people are starting to, it's like, oh, no, why did I count the fighting? But he already knows why he did. He's like, I need, I've done wrong before God. And God's like, yeah, so this is what's going to happen because of it. But God's merciful, and he's like, I want you to I, offer me a sacrifice here. And the guy says, just take it. And David's response is, No. I need to buy it. It needs to be costly to me. I think we are often plagued by the effects of sin in our lives that we have already repented for. And that worship has a role in this restoration between us and God. I'm going to have to let you take that and pray on that. And I think it's David's, when God talks about David having a heart after his own heart, I think it's David that just knows, I can't give God something that I don't own, you know, that isn't from me. And this place becomes incredibly important, as we're going to even talk about uh, some next week, maybe, that the temple gets built in this exact same place. So when you go to Israel right now, and you say, where did this happen? It's where the temple mount is. That's the place. That's what this is. So it's not just like, a, oh, yeah, and then that happened, and isn't that cool? Like, this became a very, very important place. Um, in the, and it's a place of God's interaction. So it's like, this is, this is so significant. Um, but the statement where David says, I cannot give something that costs me nothing, defines the framework of what we're talking about today. Because I think we often want to give God something that costs us nothing. And I think that maybe some of us think that giving God something that costs us nothing is, in fact, what we do, you know. And it isn't. But we're going to move on. Because I'm not talking about money. 
I think as American people, we go like, well, he's talking about money. You know, you already brought up Dave Ramsey, so he's talking about money. You know, I'm not talking about money, but it, the thing I'm talking about would include money. You see what I'm saying? Like something being costly could include anything, including money. But we're not talking about money. <laughs> so we're going to make that clear. In the second, in the second story, that, uh, as we're jumping now to the New Testament, we're, something that's costly, worship that's costly is unexpected sometimes. Because what you might think is costly may not be costly. What I might think is costly for you may not be costly at all. And vice versa. You see this in the story. Again, these stories, that first one you may not be as familiar with. But these rest of these, these are like, you know, greatest hit Bible stories. So you're going to, you know all of these. But I want you to put them together. Luke 21, 1 through 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And you see God's consistency in this when you look back when um, Samuel was sent to anoint David as the king. David, we were just talking about. And he goes and finds, you know, he's like, well, surely it's one of these guys, right? You, these are all your sons, you know? And he's like laying them all out. And like, none of these guys, you know. God says, Lord, this is in 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. I'm going to read that again. Like, th- sometimes when you read stuff like this, it, that, that is just so... I feel like our culture right now is so, does the exact opposite. I mean, this was, you know, thousands of years ago. So obviously this is a human problem that's been there since the beginning. It's not like new. But, you know, our culture right now with like the whole Instagram thing and everything, we do, we do almost, like, when he says people look at the outward appearance, it's like that's basically all we look at, you know. Um, the Lord does not look at things people look at. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And what you see in this is in this story in Luke, Jesus is doing that exact thing. Because these people are offering to the temple properly. Like, this is a good thing. This is right. It's not right. It's not wrong what they're doing. They're doing the right thing, you know. And some of these, like, they're doing this in a way, like, to look at me and the guy who's giving all the da-da-da. I think some of the other Gospels actually maybe pull it out a little bit. But the... uh, um, the point is doing something that looks good versus doing something that is good. And sometimes things that look good are good. Sometimes they're not. Okay? The point is God doesn't look at the things that we look at. He looks at the heart. So God knows. Jesus knows. I, I don't suspect that everybody else that was standing there was like, yeah, I saw that too. I'm with you there. You know what I mean? We like to Monday morning quarterback like that was how we would have been like, I would have thought the same thing, you know. I would have totally been there, you know. Maybe I would have said something first, you know. That kind of <laughs> but the truth is, we don't. We like to look at the big things and go, man, isn't that impressive what this person did over here, the sacrifice this person gave over here, which is really something that makes them look cool, something they like. Maybe it's not a sacrifice at all. There's zero sacrifice in this, you know. That could be happening. This is zero, like, sacrifice Costly. Is this costly? No. 
You know what I mean? And we don't need, again, we don't need to get hung up on money here because he's not hung up on money here. Like, that's just the vehicle that he's, you know, acknowledging. Then this woman over here gives from her poverty something that was worth a lot to her. Tell you, she noticed when she went home. See what I'm saying? These guys over here, they don't notice anything, you know? They gave out of their wealth. And again, let's just throw out the money thing. You know, they gave out of their wealth of friendships or their wealth of influence, their wealth of intellect. And it's not wrong what they're doing. But God, Jesus is God, God noticed and cared about this one, which is not impressive by any of the world's standards, is almost meaningless from any of the standards of, you know. And that's the one that God is like, this is the real one that I care about. The significance of that, can't, we can't overshadow this because it's unexpected. I pray that we will develop sensitivities as we follow Jesus and become more like him to see that in ourselves and in other people and bless that and call that out and understand the significance of that because that's happening all around us all the time and we're stuck in being impressed with unimpressive things. Costly is unexpected. The next one I have is costly is not always costly worship is not always appreciated. Now we look at this story we just sang about. Now, Kayla, I want you to sing that at the end again, fragrant offering. And there's if you look at the gospels, this is a good take-home project. There's several t- like all the gospels have a version of someone, a woman anointing Jesus' feet with oil. And some of them are different from each other, leading people to have to figure out, what are we talking about? Like, are these all the same story and people remember different stuff and it's not the same? Are there two times this happened or are there three? You know, like people are, and I don't really have, a, I don't get into all that that much. I don't really totally care. But sometimes the woman's identified in different ways. And sometimes, you know, so that's something to take home and look at because the, the, the Gospels tell slightly different stories of this Slightly different versions of this story. The one we're going to look at today is the one from Mark, okay? Um, But it was a good project to Google that and look up and read all four of them and see what you think about it. It's called a Bible study. Um, Mark 14. (laughs) Guys, Google, we can can get some, we have a lot of stuff. You know, back, I was was reading something the other day about, about William Tyndall, who was one of the first people to translate the Bible into English, and he got, like, killed for it, you know, because it was, like, you know. And I was thinking, I was like, my gosh, these people, you know, like a lot of the King James Bible actually came from work this guy did, and they killed him for it. So there you go with that. But I was like, my gosh, I mean, on my phone for free, I think there's like 70 versions. Of, like you just download that version app, and there's like 70, like you can search them. Like, you know what I mean? Like not only are there tons of versions that are all useful to study, you can like interact with them, meaning like, where is this? And it's like, oh, it's right here. You know, and I was sitting there, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, and then here's this guy, like, just working hard to get it into English, and he gets killed for it. It's like, we've, we've, it's kind of like the, um, that story we just looked at, where we're sitting over here with this wealth of, you know, available resources we just take for granted, 
you know, and then here's a guy like, I'm going to throw these, and he gets killed for it. So anyway, don't, let's, not, let's not stand before the Lord one day saying like, you know, I've never read your word because I don't know. It just didn't seem like, you know, people were dying for it over here. You know what I'm saying? And you don't even have to buy one anymore, you know? Sorry, I was a little, that was a rabbit trail, but we need to get into that. Mark 14, 1 through 9. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did, the, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare, my, to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So in this story, and in one of the other stories, it's, it's a woman of ill repute. In one of the other stories, they say it's Mary. You know, people... So... We'll just stick on this one, that Jesus is reclining, and I, <laughs> I heard Joseph Garlington preach on this once, and he said uh, um, he thinks it should read, while he was in Bethany reclining at the, t- at the home of Simon, the former leper, because he's like, no one's going to a, a party that a leper's throwing, and so he was like, but <laughs> he's like, Jesus probably healed the guy, so we should call him Simon, the former leper, you know. And so Jesus is there. She comes in, which is a little out of order. This is a little little intimate, you know, and she starts to, she pours this very expensive perfume on his head, anointing him. And so this is, a, this is worship that she's giving to God in man, in flesh. Jesus, she sees him for who he is and treats him accordingly, anointing him as king, anointing him for his burial, all these things are very important, very important to God kind of things, and everybody thought that was a really awesome thing that she did. That last part wasn't true. (laughs) Everybody in the room was like upset about it, okay? So she gets what's going on. She sees Jesus for who he is. She acts accordingly. We discussed last week how a good definition for worship is correctly responding to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I like that definition. And she does this. She responds to who Jesus is and responds correctly. And everybody there is upset about it. And they find some nitpicky things to pick out. Like, why don't we, we could have sold this and done a lot of good with it. And you just wasted it. Why this waste? Why this waste? Whenever we encounter real worship, this is why, again, they want to get away from the money thing. Like, you don't say, why this waste of the lady throwing in the two coins? You're like, man, no one even noticed. We don't even care. God cares a lot about that. You see what I'm saying? But then somebody does something that's expensive. We go, oh, why this waste? 
Like, why would you waste that? We could have done something with that, you know? This is, this is another thing that you start to have to distance yourself from our culture, our values, and all these kinds of things that we see. That, like, when we're worshiping God, when, we're giving, when we start to shift to giving him something that's costly to us, very often people don't go, that is great. They often just criticize. And they'll find something to make up about why, you know. One of the versions about this talks like Judas was like the one who's like, why this waste? We could have da-da-da-da-da. And they're like, he didn't say this because he actually cared about anybody. He just said it because he wanted to steal money from people. So, you know, so why this waste? Why, is this, why would you waste this worship? Why this waste? That reaction we should expect. But what we should also expect is Jesus' reaction to that reaction and take confidence in that. Leave her alone, he says. So when we worship in a costly manner and those around criticize, we don't have to, like, fight them. We don't have to really even engage with them. In fact, I would argue we probably shouldn't. And this is where I get into, like, being a Christian person in a culture that's surrounded by people that aren't Christian and don't share the same values. We shouldn't be surprised when they go, why this waste? What you're doing is silly or stupid or wrong or bigoted or whatever. They don't know what they're talking about. And, are we, and we, what we have to do is trust that God can handle that and stay focused on what we're doing. Because what ends up happening is something special happened in that room. Very few people understood what was going on. Jesus understood. She understood. And maybe everybody got tipped off to it after he told them. And there was a fragrance in the room. Very expensive fragrance in the room because somebody was worshiping Jesus with something costly. There was an expensive fragrance in the room when that happens. And when everybody left, two people smelled like that fragrance. Jesus and her. Everybody else could just remember it as it faded away. Who do you want to be in that situation? Somebody standing around criticizing everybody or a true worshiper of Jesus? And it doesn't say that she said anything to these people that were criticizing. And that leads to this last piece that I want to get. Kayla, come on up here. This is the last piece that I want to read in its entirety Because the costly nature of following Jesus has to be separated in our minds just from money. Okay? The Bible calls this a living sacrifice. Sacrifice, again, being temple language, worship language, laying a sacrifice like David did before the Lord. I can't give him something that costs me nothing, even though you're offering me not only the land, but the wood to build the altar and the thing to put on the altar, the animal to kill, you know. You've given me everything. And he's like, no, no, I've got to buy it all. But we don't do that. Jesus is the sacrifice. So, like, what, how does this, you know? And you'll find this phrase, living sacrifice, in Romans 12. And it's really interesting that Paul would put it here. Because he's writing to the Romans, who are predominantly Gentile people, who have been starting to put down the Jewish believers who brought them the faith in the beginning. And he's laid out in the chapters before this. And, you know, 
we put the chapters in or somebody did later. He didn't go chapter 12. You know, they added that later to keep it straight. He's laid out a picture of like, guys, don't get arrogant. All of you. Like, I'm God. I did this whole thing. And these Jewish people, I elected to do this thing through. Don't think that they did it for you. You know, and you should be grateful that you're even here. Like, you're like a, yeah, yeah, I cut some of these branches off. And I let you get grafted in, all you Gentile people. And that's awesome because I wanted to do that. But I'm also going to put these branches back in. So none of you guys, he's saying to the Jewish people, you guys don't get cocky about it. You know better than anyone. You still need me to save you. And he goes, and you Gentile people, you guys need to be appreciative of what's happened here. These people gave a lot for what you even have. All of you need me. And he's laid this out over this last several chapters, as we would call it. And then he starts to talk about a living sacrifice. So here we are, 2021, reading about the living sacrifice. I'm talking about worship is costly. It's not just songs we're singing. Those songs are just a reflection, like an overflowing. It's kind of like we say this to declare the truth about what we're, who we are and what we're doing and who God is and what, how we respond to that and all that kind of thing. The worship is in how we're living. And this is what's really interesting about this. This whole living sacrifice thing is talking about us living and treat, how we treat other people. So now we got God coupling together how he wants us to worship him in a costly way. The things he cares about, meaning this, this offering this woman gives, it's like to us nothing and to God it's everything. And then this other woman who's giving expensive, lavishing love on God that we would criticize. And then here we have Paul laying all of this together in how we treat each other. Not just each other in this room, but each other out in the world. And this is why I would say that probably our role as Christian people has almost nothing to do, I'm not going to say always nothing, but almost nothing to do with what we call culture wars. I'm getting kind of fed up with this whole thing about like, this is such a threat to the gospel. There is no threat to the gospel. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? There are people, they've always been trying to stop it. They used to kill us all, and they still kill us all in other countries. They can't stop it. So if somebody tells you this is a great threat to the gospel, they're wrong. There is no threat to the gospel, and it's building us an enmity between us and these other people. In this context, it was between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now it's between us who call ourselves Christians and all these other people out there who God tells us to love. So here we have this costly worship. Are these people going to be annoying? Yes! They're annoying. Are they going to post stuff on Facebook that's crazy? Yes! Yes! Are the people on the news going to get people all riled up about all this stuff? Absolutely! But there's no threat to the gospel. And there never has been and there never will be. And this is how we're supposed to live. This is our worship and it does cost a lot. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, which is hating other people, okay? Hating our enemies. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
for by the grace given me I say to every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function so in Christ we though many from one form one body and each member belongs to all the others we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us if your gift is prophesying then prophesy in accordance with your with your faith if it is serving then serve if it is teaching then teach if it is to encourage then give encouragement if it is giving then give generously if it is to lead do it diligently if it is to show mercy do it cheerfully now this love must be sincere hate what is evil and cling to what is good be devoted to one another in love devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord be joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer share with the Lord's people who are in need practice hospitality bless those who persecute you hello bless do not curse he says that twice bless those who persecute you bless do not curse that's costly rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn live in harmony with one another do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position do not be conceited now think of the woman who's poured out this she's being criticized for her worship as this is the this is this is the response do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord like he did did he not take care of business there he did on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good this is our living sacrificed costly worship to Jesus and each one of us can do it but it's not easy so stand with me we're going to sing this song again Father I admit to you that this costly worship is something that I sometimes I sometimes pull back from Lord and I ask for your forgiveness for that I pray that we would not limit our understanding of worship to you to just singing songs together on Sunday morning Lord but let those songs be true true statements of what we understand about who you are who we are and what we should do about that Lord let us present our bodies to you as true living sacrifices because we know who you are this is love not that we loved God but that he's loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins that was costly dear friends since God so loved us we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen God 
but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us.